breaching the fault lines of today. Welcome to Reform This with Dr. Zudi Jasser on the Blaze Radio Network. This is Dr. Zudi Jasser. Welcome to another episode this week of Reform This on the Blaze Podcast Network. Always an honor to be with all of you talking about sort of the frontline issues that some people, many people, most of the legacy media just don't want to talk about. Areas of reform, areas of not only Islamic reform, but looking at the pandemic, sort of what is political and what is medical. What are the roles of docs? What should be their roles? Also looking at Black Lives Matter and the Islamists and what is the synergy of their movements. I wrote a major piece this week in Newsweek and I want to talk to you about that and how that synergy goes hand in hand like stocking and foot, like hand and glove, whichever metaphor you want to use. The bottom line, it is two movements cut from the same cloth and we will talk about it. An indictment this week from the FBI at the Elk of a woman by the name of Jill Jones from Chandler, Arizona here in our locality. What did the media cover? What is this story? What a bizarre story. And yet, nobody's paying attention. Move along, nothing to see. And Erdogan, the caliph, the caliph of a so-called democracy turning into a theocracy day by day, hour by hour, tried to offend the entire Christian community and did so by praying at the church of Hagia Sophia. What does it mean? Where are we going from there? So thank you for being with us on this podcast. Share it with your friends. Share it with your family. Find me on Twitter at Dr. Zudi Jasser, D-R-Z-U-H-D-I-J-A-S-S-E-R. And find me on Twitter with this podcast at Reform This Radio. This week, let's start with a little bit about the pandemic. So first, uh, this will be brief. I, I just, as a physician, as a doc in primary care, I'm seeing and and uh, you know, hats off to the the, the courage and the uh, tirelessness of my colleagues in the medical professional and the ERs, uh, uh, family practice, internal medicine, primary care clinics, urgent care clinics here in Arizona, seeing uh, the, the spike in COVID nineteen cases. Uh, uh, the daily rates uh, were higher than they've ever been, and some of the highest in the country here in Arizona. Uh, but in many ways, that's the reality of this virus, the reality of a spreading virus. Uh, there are always things we can do to mitigate more. And uh, certainly our citizenry are doing a lot to mitigate, be it through masks, physical distancing, hand washing, uh, antiseptic procedures, uh, um, antiseptic concerns and behaviors, limiting events and things like that are all being done. But I had to make a comment because now, after four weeks of slow increase, and then two weeks ago, a precipitous increase over the week after that, we finally this week saw a plateau, and now beginning a reduction in the daily case rate, which also brought with it a reduction in the hospitalizations, increase in the discharges, etc., which is all good news. So have we seen the worst of it? It looks like it. We pray so. And we continue to thank all those doing the right thing and taking care of those on the front lines. But the truth is the truth. We can't look back and sort of massage 
what the reality is and say, well, no, 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 this is because of X or this is because of Y that we have succeeded in plateauing. Nobody knows. And I wanted to make a little comment about that as a physician, somebody who went to an allopathic American medical school, learned scientific method, learned Cook's postulates, which I'll walk you through in a second, learned you know, uh, the, the reason base of academic diagnosis, somebody who's been practicing for over 25 years here in the United States, mostly in Arizona, and have seen day-to-day all of my colleagues, him and Ha, with multiple studies balancing as we try to figure out what a patient has, what this patient, what that patient has. And now all of a sudden we see large swaths of my colleagues showing no doubt whatsoever in a binary black and white kind of way saying this was complete failure of the political uh, political leadership, whether in Arizona or in the White House, who happened to be of a different political stripe than the medical group. There was a letter this week of so-called 150 physicians that wrote a letter demanding that America be closed down again because of the increasing, increasing pandemic and risk to American lives. And this isn't to minimize that. But nobody even did any, any, any truthful research on what those that 150 docs were. They were part of a hard left think tank, something public interest, that has an axe to grind that has a political agenda. They're not simply scientists. It's like the Daily Beast reporting on Matt Hines, a doc out of Tucson, saying this physician stands up and says that the the, the reason Arizona is having the problems it is is because of President Trump and because of the political leadership and their bad decisions, et cetera, et cetera. When in fact, if you look at Matt Hines, simply the entire Daily Beast article didn't even mention what his political history is and what he does simply said, oh, he's a Tucson doctor who's concerned. Well, I'm sure he is. As a doc, I'm concerned, but I make it obvious what my political beliefs are. And by the way, this guy has run for office perennially, run for Congress, run for county supervisor or whatever else he's running for now. He sends out more spam mail than most organizations I know here in Arizona. And yet the Daily Beast use him as a medical expert and doesn't even, should say up front, a political candidate perennially failed in the Democratic Party. But that doesn't matter when you're using physicians for political ends. All the commercials coming up now with medical residents and young doctors with white coats on claiming that the, the pandemic was done, was, was handled inappropriately and all this kind of stuff. At the bottom, it should say, for one of the commercials, for example, for Biden, it said Tarek, MD. And then under it should say, Democratic Party activists, political activists, voted for Democrats in the last 15 years. (laughs) I mean, those are things that would make it at least truthful as to where they are. So my criticism, you know, one of the things I wanted to say here locally is I'm a conservative, and yet... I call strikes and I call strikes and balls. Call spade a spade. And I wanted to give a quick note on these issues, physicians included, who are trying to attribute the current plateau and welcome downturn of the COVID-19 cases in Arizona directly to the late June closure of gyms, restaurants, and tubing facilities. 
saw a lot of backslapping and, and congratulatory that now we've 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 begun to see the drop in the cases. So therefore, it had to do with the fact that we, the governor, shut down the restaurants and the gyms. Well, in our med- in our practice of medicine, prior to recommending interventions. We make academic conclusions based on comparing similar data from both control and intervention groups, also known as Cox postulates applied to public health. In group one, you do intervention A. In group B, you do intervention B. And then you compare if you make sure that they have mostly all the same variables, demographically, etc. And then you see if intervention A caused a different outcome, different spread in the virus, different mortality, different morbidity than intervention B. We didn't even know before the governor decided to shut down, especially gyms. Remember I made the comments a month or so ago about do they have any contact tracing into huge spreaders that came out of gyms because of the contacts on the on the machinery and the sweating and huffing and puffing and all these things that you would say, oh, rationally, there must be a place in which we must shut, shut down. But if you made that type of, inf- you know, you'd say, well, let's rationally shut down grocery stores and make everything drive through. Let's rationally shut down every business. And we're not shutting down all businesses. So why discriminate against certain business patterns? There was no contact tracing to prove the source, so therefore, how can you now say that, well, the drop was because of the leadership decision to shut down the gyms and the restaurants? The downturn in cases now four weeks after the governor's arbitrary intervention against the cherry-picked businesses in June has no provable causation, let alone correlation to today's data without detailed pre-intervention contact tracing data to those very businesses whose arbitrary closures being touted today as so impactful. There wasn't even an iota of contact tracing proof prior to the closures or volume data to show that those numbers would make a difference to justify discriminatorily shuttering those businesses. Today, there remains no data to prove any of this scientifically in an environment full of too many variables other than the expected fact that The virus will run its way through our population. Like it was going to do anyway. Yeah, mitigation measures, like I mentioned earlier, like smart distancing, hand washing, protection of our most vulnerable patients is very, very rational. But it doesn't cost much. But once the government starts shutting down businesses and pushing them into bankruptcy, or... What about, dare I mention, the leftist demonstrations that got special dispensation from the discriminatory policies? Business owners and group leaders can place rules that they want to mitigate. But any attempt, and this is, and then I'll end this and go to the, the meat of our conversation today, but any attempt to blame or take credit for failures or successes on an approach to a handful of businesses with no contact tracing proof of impacted numbers of sheer political gamesmanship. So, just spare us, please, the congratulatory credits. Yes, the executive and Governor Ducey did a fantastic job in, in harnessing and heralding and in, in, in bringing together the, the powers that be to, to, to give Arizonans what we needed to have done. And uh, I certainly give him uh, a, a, a passing grade B plus, A minus on everything he's done. 
but when it comes to closing gyms, discriminating against certain businesses, uh, I find that to be ridiculous. And we need to call it a spade a spade and not sort of massage previous data. And that's what they're doing when the political year, as, as Biden puts out a commercial, talks about his successes in the Ebola virus. There were like, I think, three patients with Ebola virus in the United States that were contained by the CDC that were brought back. If three, I think it was one. And now that is going to be compared to all of the different onslaught related to a massive pandemic that now has infected tens of millions in the United States? It's absurd. Anything for politics except the truth. And as scientists, we physicians are wedded, are wedded deeply to the truth. Now, I wrote a piece this week that appeared in Newsweek. The world's red-green axis has come to our streets. I've talked to you on this program before many times about the red-green axis. And I want to walk you through why this topic is so important. As uh, the streets continue to erupt more and more in violence and anarchy and what is a important moniker that yes black lives matter an important movement against racism that should we should stamp out during our lives has now been hijacked by the worst element in society by criminals by by violent radicals terrorists and others and is this something unique we've seen this movie before we've seen this film before and i since 9-11, Muslim reformers have been at the forefront of the fight against global Islamist forces. And, and this entire program, ladies and gentlemen, is dedicated to fighting modern Islamism. A theocratic political ideology aimed at replacing secular law, liberal democracy, with clerical interpretation of Sharia law. But now that movement... In the United States, there's four or five million Muslims, so you may not feel it all the time. It may not be palpable. Barely half of Americans have ever met a Muslim. But globally, a quarter of the world's population are Muslim. 56 countries have Muslim majorities that have been swept, dominated, influenced pluralistically, not, plur uh, um, not pluralistically, but by a, a significant movement, rather, of Islamists whether it's from the Jamaat Islamiyah political party of Pakistan, the Muslim Brotherhood in Egypt, the Khomeinist of Iran, Muslim Brotherhood in Yemen and Syria and elsewhere. Islamists are either taking over or trying to take over everywhere. In Turkey, it's democracy is basically on hospice care as Erdogan's Islamist movement takes over. But if that Islamist movement domestically and globally, with whatever reach Black Lives Matter movement has globally, has made common cause with progressivists under the guise of social justice. Deeply illiberal, Islamist theocratic organizations like the Council of American Islamic Relations, the Islamic Circle of North America, and the Muslim American Society have become community sources 
have become the community sources for politicians, including their academic stuff, leading journalists to obtain the Muslim perspective. Meanwhile, the real secular and liberal Muslims have been propelled to the fringe cast-off as Islamophobes, native informants, merely for trying to root out the closet extremists and theocrats in our midst. You see it happening with the way African-American leaders on the right are being treated by the left, dubbed tokens, Uncle Toms and otherwise. These movements have more in common than you can see. The Islamists, the way they a, a, a invoked language of hate against people that actually expressed ideological diversity in the Muslim community, the Black Lives Matter movement is doing the same. So now there's a second pseudo-progressive Orwellian movement that has emerged. And it's in the same spirit as modern Islamism, political Islam. It's perceived to be about one cause, like the Islamists say they're about civil rights, while fiercely committed to another. But the Islamists are about domination, advancing Sharia law, helping the Islamist movements around the world. Black Lives Matter is not about racism. It's about control. It's about pushing forth Marxist, socialist ideas. As they've achieved confounding levels of deception, they generated a moniker that's very true. Black Lives Matter now has become a, uh, a, a label at the top of the cultural food chain, uninhibited by moral and political constraints. You saw an entire athletic team a few days ago walk off the court during the national anthem we saw the arizona diamondbacks wearing t-shirts that said black lives matter meanwhile almost every Amer the majority of americans i know who by the way every american is against racism that i know or care to associate with but almost every american i know finds the black lives matter movement abhorrent not because it's anti-racist they they join them with that arm in arm but because of what it stands for and who the leaders are and what the ideas are and how often un-american anti-american their ideas are let's walk through that a little bit i think it's important to walk through that it's self-appointed defenders in the media universities corporations entertainment industry genuinely believe that ending police brutality and building a racially just and equitable society is all it seeks. Many do. They think, oh, it's great. It's like many of the Muslims at the fundraisers for CARE. They think, oh, Zudi, what's wrong? What's wrong with CARE? They've fought our civil rights. They're stopping Homeland Security from coming in and, and, and beating Muslims and taking away our rights. Who could disagree with that? Well, first, you're exaggerating the reality. Secondly, that's not what CARE is about. Qatar, when they help care, when they put care on all over Al Jazeera, bad-mouthing America and turning America not into a, from a democracy, but reporting that it's basically a racist 
autocracy on the waves of 60 million Arabs watching. It's about tearing down America's influence. It's about destroying the power of secular liberal democracy and freedom and liberty across the planet. That's what it's about. So take a deep dive into BLM's website and the organization's true objectives are plain for all to see. Like its American Islamist brethren, it's avowedly neo-Marxist, anti-capitalist, anti-individualist, anti-democratic, and anti-American. It wants to erase and rewrite America's history, destroy and rebuild her institutions, and overthrow her political system. Yeah, that's what it is. Look at it. Go to their website. See what they stand for. In short, it seeks to remake the entire country in its own image. The censorship is just unbelievable. I mean, look at the many individuals fired from their employment. Simply for questioning, questioning BLM over the past month in order to gauge the high priests of censorship at work. Whether at the UN, now let's take this globally, folks. Whether at the UN, where oppressive despotic nations such as China, Venezuela, Iran, Syria, and Qatar work against American interests, or in Congress, where the squad, right? So you got China, Venezuela, socialist communist countries, tyrannical, or Iran, Syria, Qatar, Islamist, whether she is Sunni, theocratic. They're working together, right? Then you go to Congress, where the squad shills for both the democratic domestic radicals of BLM or the Islamist movement, Ilhan Omar, Rashida Tlaib, and AOC, that red-green axis. So folks, the red-green axis globally has landed on our streets. Like the Arab Awakening, it started as a good movement. Movement against dictatorship, tyranny. That was a, 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 a movement that my grandparents, my parents fought for and ended up escaping, coming to the U.S. for freedom. But it was hijacked by the Islamists, by radicals. Which made it much more difficult to support in many instances. But still... If the premise was to fight for democracy against tyranny, it was good. And in America, if BLM's premise was to fight for equality for African Americans, to bring an end to all racism, that's fine. But if it's to erase American history, if it's to even say that abolitionists were evil, then it's a bunch of nonsense. It's a... It's, it's a it's, it's a masquerading militant Marxist movement masquerading under the guise of civil rights. So the masses in America are largely oblivious to the strategic doublespeak. The goals of the groups are explicit. Founder Patrice Colors said, we're trained Marxists. Co-founder Opal Tometi 
considers the brutal and corrupt Maduro regime and socialist Venezuela a participatory democracy with a fair, transparent election system. I use Assad's powerful demand in my organizing work, wrote Alicia Garza, referring to Assad Shakur, a violent murderer of the FBI's most wanted terrorist lists. BLM's list of demands, which reads like a socialist code, is even more revealing. In its own words, it wishes to disrupt the Western-prescribed nuclear family structure. Even black leaders, many of whom that strongly support the family structure, have publicly decried and repudiated that, pointing to the fact that absent fathers is one of the most pressing issues currently plaguing the black community. BLM's coalition website, the Movement for Black Lives, lists a radical and sustainable redistribution of wealth as demand number one. What more socialist communist movement would you ever want to describe? Isn't that really what the movement for reparations is all about? In the same spirit of dismantling free enterprise, Islamist activists such as Linda Sorsour, Ilhan Omar, and Rashida Tlaib, the last two are congresswomen, are not shy about their vision of restructuring America as a socialist state. For example, Omar Suleiman, America's leading Islamist cleric, who's given the opening prayer, at Congress, thanks to Nancy Pelosi, has been hailed as a progressive voice for political change. He spoke at a 2019 conference with fellow Islamist Furhan Zubairi, who admitted that Western notions of liberty, freedom, justice, mercy, and fairness are problematic as a Muslim. And I've talked about Omar Soleiman and his institute and how they even wrote a piece defending the caliphate. Not ISIS, but defending the concept of the caliphate. And apologetic for it. Both BLM and modern Islamism are street-led movements whose members, whether clerics or activists, they see themselves as grassroots revolutionaries, not modest reformers. And more so, folks, they're more akin to the Red Guards of Mao's Chinese Revolution or the Citizens' Revolt of the French Revolution. They're nihilists. They tear down historic statues, ban books, and rename institutions. Islamist tyrants have been engaging in this type of radical militant behavior for decades. This is not a new playbook. The destruction of the Palmyra destruction of Palmyra in Syria and other ancient sites by ISIS and the Taliban's bombing of the 1,700-year-old, 8,200-foot Buddhas of Banyan, a UNESCO World Heritage Site, similarly, similarly wanted to destroy history and erase it, not only from the memory of mankind, but from the memory of the citizens in their, in their countries. Many of us, um, most people, initially led to believe that BLM only wished to topple the Confederate statues. 
And now we've seen founding fathers, abolitionists, Civil War Union heroes, and former slaves themselves coming down at the hands of the BLM activists. TV shows are being canceled, movie scenes removed, mascots of schools, consumers, products changed. And Islamists are not in the background, they're on the forefront cheering this on, cheering on acts of vandalism, saying more to come. And the interesting thing about Islamists, listen, as a Muslim, I have to tell you, the interesting thing, they're ignoring our own history as slave owners. Muslim slave owners at the time of Muhammad, the Prophet himself. While you can give apologetics about the, the honor he bestowed upon those who freed slaves, he didn't end the institution of slavery. I get the historical arguments and all these things, and this was in 620 CE, etc. Fine, fine. But are they tearing down those? Are they going to the Supreme Court and pulling off the sculpture off the side of the court of the Prophet Muhammad? I don't think so. Jonathan Brown at Georgetown University trafficked in such apologetic polemics when he went so far as to defend the roots. He defended as honorable the roots of Islamist slavery. This is, it just boggles the mind, the synergy, the cooperation, and the similarities between the Black Lives Matter's radical arms of their movements and the Islamist radical arms of their movements. Because they're true from both have the same type of cancer, which is an oppressive, identity-driven politic. But on a global scale, the most obvious link between BLM and modern Islamism is the embrace of anti-Semitism. From French anti-racist protesters shouting dirty Jews to multiple anti-Semitists, anti-Semitic scandals plaguing BLM UK to the arbitrary and glaring anti-Israel clause inserted into BLM's original charter. Don't tell me that had nothing to do with the Islamists and the BLM movement. In the same way, anti-Semitism has been a defining feature of modern-day Islamists from the Muslim Brotherhood to New York City's notorious Imam Siraj Wahaj that I've talked about frequently here as a big fundraiser for Islamist groups like CARE and ICNA and ISNA. The overlap on this point is profoundly significant. Malina Abdullah, the head organizer of BLM Los Angeles, is also an Islamist supporter of the Nation of Islam and its leader, Louis Farrakhan. And he famously compared Jews to termites and bloodsuckers and has, has a litany of hundreds of hours of anti-Semitic rants that could be fit for Nazis. He referred to Hitler as a very great man and attributes gay marriage, abortion, and anal sex to the satanic influence of the Talmudic Jews. And by the way, speaking of Farrakhan, posting videos of his Jew-hating, misogynist, homophobia on social media in support of Black Lives Matter has recently become a hobby of Hollywood celebrities and major league athletes. And Twitter's not doing anything about it. And in fact, this week, 
I am supporting the no safe space for Jew hatred. Hashtag. And doing a Twitter silence. Boycott. Walk away for 48 hours from July 27th to July 29th. And hopefully you supported it also when it happened this week. Anti-Israel organizations have been flooding their social media feeds with messages of BLM solidarity. American Muslims for Palestine. One of the forefront Muslim Brotherhood organizations in America. A grassroots organization that the Anti-Defamation League has said provides a platform for anti-Semitism. It promotes BLM protests and now hosts a monthly webinar series called Let's Talk About BLM. (laughs) Hand in glove, folks. AMP's newest national development coordinator, Mohammed Haba, he referred to blacks, by the way, as Abid. Abid in Arabic means slaves. Social media has made racist jokes. On, to, on his social media, has made racist jokes about Somalis and said that if he ever dated a black girl, his mother would think he had AIDS. Similarly, Islamist Samar al-Hatto was once invited to speak at a BLM protest in Chicago. And his social media is replete with racist content, including vile claims about blacks, describing them as monkeys. This is important, folks. As gross as it is, it's important to know that the synergy is simply a political expediency one. The Islamist racism that is just rife in in countries like Qatar, Iran, and elsewhere is dismissed by the Black Lives Matter movement because they want a political, this is about a political movement to destroy centrists and the right in America. So much for intersectional racism, anti-racism. At the end of the day, folks, just to summarize, both BLM and modern Islamists, Muslim Brotherhood, etc., are cut from the same cloth. They are victim-obsessed, ethnocentric struggles that frame every difference of outcome in terms of identity, whether race or religion. They're the commissars of the thought police. The connoisseurs of cultural demagoguery. Whether out of allegiance or fear, we have witnessed the entire Democratic Party and swaths of the Republican Party fall into lockstep with their narrative. The only way to fight them is to recognize, I hope you can join me, to fight them, to recognize their strategic similarities and recommit ourselves to authentic ideological diversity. No race, no race, no human should ever bend the knee to any other for we are all equal in the eyes of God. So as much as you might say, oh, you know, I love Zudi's program, reform this, but there's really not that much terrorism happening. We are more relevant now than ever. More relevant than ever. The movement of Black Lives Matter has co-opted identity politics to destroy America's foundation. Islamists co-opt religious freedom to destroy American foundations. Together, 
Just like in the UN with China, Venezuela working with Iran, Qatar, Turkey, trying to destroy American foundations. Understand the red-green axis, ladies and gentlemen, and fortify our pillars of the ideology of true ideological diversity. Because my last message today is, if you love diversity, you will believe that we can have free speech and differ that it's not about racial identity, it's about ideological diversity, tolerating a discussion between a socialist and a capitalist so that we can have that debate. Tolerating a conversation and believing the equality of the importance of those ideas. But not brutalizing police and occupying areas of cities in order to prove that you have the upper hand as some type of civil disobedience. As hundreds and thousands every weekend are killed on the streets of America that we miss talking about, that we miss even paying attention to. Don't let that happen. Thank you for listening. We had so much to cover. I want to cover one last thing. This week... Caliph Erdogan had the temerity, had the temerity to pray, to pray at what was a museum and before that a church, Hagia Sophia. I talked about it last week, so I won't repeat a lot of that note, but just one brief note from this concerned American Muslim to the Caliph, to the Caliph wannabe. Recep Erdogan, who claims to be a democratic president, but in fact is a tyrannical theocratic president seeking to destroy Turkey and its foundations of democracy over the past century and turn it into, and as he has, into a theocracy. And he's rallying his Islamist base by taking a cheap shot against the world's Christian community. And it is a cheap shot. could not be cheaper. Let's see them go and pray at a Christian church in Germany and call it a mosque. A Christian church in Sweden or even in Spain and call it a mosque. Erdogan and his Islamist slaves that had the 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 weakness to take a church in a country that is 99% Muslim only prove that they are cowards with a militant inferiority complex that, that can only prove their just need by making a church a mosque that was a church for hundreds of years. And you want to get into the history, fine. It was a mosque before whatever. There is absolutely no need in 2020 take a structure that symbolized and has a significant history in the Christian community that now resides in a country that is vast majority Muslim and say that now you're going to pray inside it and violate the sanctity and all of a sudden get repudiation from every Christian leader that has a conscience and every Muslim leader that has a conscience while the Islamists are cheering, because in that statement also is a 
the imam that was standing there was holding a sword. What's the message? Jihad is by conquest. Jihad is violent. There's no reform there. There is a militarization, radicalization, and that only radicalizes the world's Muslim community. So Recep Erdogan is one of the leading radicalizers of the world's Muslim community, and he does so through religious division, demonization of Christians, and destruction of historical heritage. So from this Muslim to the Islamists that, that defend him, I stand against you, as do all Muslims of conscience. Because only cowards with a militant inferiority complex would make a church a mosque anywhere, let alone in a Muslim majority country. We stand against you, and we hope, you de- we hope you're defeated peacefully, and the ideas of your th- supremacist movement die in the vine, and that's what our reform is all about. When I was on the U.S. Commission on Religious Freedom, they had told us that would not be converted, but we knew they were lying to our face. And Erdogan this week proved they were lying to our faces, and they made Hagia Sophia a mosque. They are a cancer on the souls of Muslims and the world. All right, folks, great talking to you this week. We'll be back next week on Reform This on the Blaze Podcast Network. Reform This with Dr. Zudi Jasser on the Blaze Radio Network.